Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Once around the park, James, and don't spare the horses. Well, here we go. That was a, a quick seven days, and there was all kinds of stuff jammed into it. So welcome into this edition of On the Ledge, folks. It's good to have you. Just by way, um, I want you to know that for those of you who are new to this show in terms of listening, uh, feel free to uh, share it with friends because that's certainly happening. We've had uh, probably uh, downloads and listenership almost double in the last month and a half over what we the rate we've been going at lately. So I don't know. Most of you are just geeks at the park and everything else, just like the rest of us who engage in this. But uh, there's uh, fodder for discussion. And if you like what you hear, by all means, uh, let us know. And if you don't, well, by all means, let us know. Maybe we'll have you uh, join in so we can, you know, you can argue with us here. Uh, I'm Dave Trafford. And of course, uh, Keith Leslie is a regular contributor here. He is a a CH commentator at Queen's Park, a former Canadian press bureau chief at the park as well. And this week, we're uh, glad to uh, welcome in Colin DeMello. He is the bureau chief at CTV Toronto. Thanks for coming in, Colin. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Um, lots of stuff here that we've got to talk about. And, and uh, I think, <laughs> Keith, you know, you, you, uh, we were just talking before we came on the air. You called it Manic Monday. I, it was a wild Monday back at the park. And I, and I think I know the reason why. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but the municipal cuts were the ones that really kind of uh, started off the week. And it, I saw uh, a tweet at about 9 o'clock Monday morning. And this was this sort of this... Um, ominous some from somebody down at the park calling saying hmm the premier's called a news conference for 10 15 and we don't know why uh that sort of lit the fuse on on all of this and we found out they were climbing down on the municipal cuts yeah and i mean listen we we really didn't know exactly where the government was going to go with this because for for weeks they had been fighting with the government uh, with the, the municipal governments uh they had been accusing john tory of not being able to find any efficiencies uh the premier even launched a petition on the ontario progressive conservative party website saying hey you know tell john tory that you can that he can find efficiencies that he should be able to find four cents on the dollar in savings on Friday, last Friday, I had spoken with the uh, Municipal Affairs Minister, Steve Clark. He had just met with the Large Urban Mayors Association, and they gave him an earful. I'd heard that they were just screaming in the room at him about all of this. And, um, you know, he was coming out and still saying it on Friday. 
please, almost begging them. We know you can, we know it's going to be difficult, but just try to find something, some savings, whether it's 1%, 4%, anything you can find. Um, So it was pretty surprising that on Monday, all of a sudden out of nowhere, they made the decision over the weekend that they just came out and they were like, yep, we're going back fully. Now it's not a full reversal, of course, they're deferring it until next year. Um, but it was, you know, this is a pretty big climb down for a premier that almost never backs down. Yeah, Keith, the, the, the question, though, and it was interesting almost immediately, who won? It was put in terms of winning and losing. Was it the mayors that won? Was it the premier that won? Uh, and, uh, you know, the view was uh, that in most quarters, I heard the premier won because he's going to get his cuts and he's going now puts the pressure on the municipalities to do exactly what they said they, they promised to do now. Well, that certainly was the premier's spin on this, and, and you can't blame him for that. He's got them to concede that, yes, we can find savings, just don't do, us to, do it to us in the middle of a budget year. Back off on that, and we'll find, we'll work with you, we'll find savings. So from the municipality's point of view, you know, uh, Mayor Tory, Mayor Eisenberger in Hamilton, Mayor Watson in Ottawa, and all across the province, they were, uh, the government was fighting on 444 fronts. Well, let's, you know, let's just back off. If we've got most of them agreeing they can find efficiencies next year, let's back off. So they kept, you know, remember, all they, they restored here was for the remainder of this year, the, the funding for uh, public health, uh, land ambulances, and child care. So other cuts are still going ahead, including the member they were supposed to get double the gas tax revenue this year, two cents to four cents. Lots of cuts are still going ahead to municipalities, but they're literally in that they, they've been beaten so bad. They go, okay, we'll take it. We can work with this. So they're declaring a victory because they're not having to do in-year cuts, which mm-hmm. is really nearly impossible for them. And the premier gets to declare victory because he's going to work with municipalities on next year's cuts. You know, the, the, the thing that, and we can kind of point to some of the other files. I mean, this has happened in a different way in the autism file where they kind of came out guns blazing. Ooh, that was a bad idea. And they, they've been kind of shot themselves two or three times on that one. The French language cuts that actually created a, uh, somebody leaving the, uh, the the caucus over over that, that was turned around quietly. And then when they talked about changing the size of the, um, the, the classrooms and the effect it would have on teachers, well, they were all worried about losing their jobs. The government steps up and says, here's $1.6 billion to make sure nobody loses the jobs. There was an interesting question posed this week by Now Magazine, um, Colin, and it was that, are we starting to see Doug Ford, ironically, be the killer of populism in Ontario? When you actually start to add all of this up, you know, he's he's kind of in there with his core immediately, but he's blinking and withdrawing. And, and, and maybe he's doing the right thing by withdrawing. But all of a sudden, he was. it doesn't look like the populist that kind of roared into office about a year ago. All right. A couple of things on this. So one, uh, Taras Natishak, who, uh, you know, is with the NDP and seems to be the guy who is across the aisle from from Doug Ford in the legislature and always gets under his skin. He said this week in the legislature to uh, Premier Ford, uh, I thought uh, a populist was supposed to be popular. And there, and there was a great big laugh there. I, I mean, but but the other thing. You know, Doug Ford has repeatedly said that nobody can influence Doug Ford. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to people who um, have, have lobbied the government and they say, yeah, you know, he actually is pretty, pretty difficult to it's, it's it's tough to change his mind once he's made up his mind. But he's not he's not unwilling to listen to people and to hear all aspects um on a particular issue and then make up his mind or come to a decision and maybe even change it if he gets enough feedback. One of the things that I find the most interesting about him, though, is the people who really can change his mind are the people who 
randomly text him, randomly call him, and he talks to at like 11 o'clock at night. He's done this a number of times, where, t- especially in the autism file, where parents have called him and told him about, you know, the, the, the horrible circumstances that they find himself in, how, how bad it'll be if uh, their funding gets cut. And it was the premier himself who made the decision to backtrack on that. So he's still, he's still a populist, but he's maybe a pragmatic populist. Like he's doing, he's doing things like buck a beer and all of that. Those are those are populist types of things. But when it comes to these hard things that don't necessarily have to do with populism, but he wants to still be popular and liked by a lot of people, he will then maybe do something that's also pragmatic. So I, he's still a bit of a tough tough nut to crack. Well, Keith, you know, you and I and John have talked often about how they're always in campaign mode. I think it was Matt Gurney in the Post this week was saying uh, he talked to somebody, you know, close to the premier and he said, here's the problem. Uh, The guy doesn't listen to the polls before he actually opens his mouth. Never mind listening to people around him. What 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 do the people of Ontario really want was the was the point? Well, I think in, in what we saw this time, whether the premier wants to listen to the polls regularly or not, I think we saw a series of polls, including ones showing that 75% of the people in Ontario were opposed to the direction the government was taking, including 38% of people who had voted for Doug Ford. So I think that uh, those polling numbers really mounted up uh, as with the meeting last Friday with the large urban mayors. And I suspect their internal polling and probably the internal polling being done by Andrew Scheer and the federal conservatives all showed the same thing. They needed to cut this limb loose, put it off till after the federal election, get it off everybody's plate right now. And so that's the climb down, I think. I think the polling, as much as individuals can get to them with their stories, and they absolutely do, I think autism, that was a significant case there. I think on this one, the polling was just, those are huge numbers. Uh, and well, and why forget- fight that battle? And don't forget Main Street. Main Street said that, you know, their their support had collapsed. I mean, they're down to, what, 22 percent, I believe, 22.4 percent among decided and leaning voters. Um, And it was it was a small sample of about 900 or so people. But, you know, to show that in any poll that the the party that ended the last election with 40 percent support has now dropped down to 22 percent support. That is huge. And on top of that, Uh, PC MPPs um, have been hearing from their federal cousins who have been going door to door on door knocking campaigns. And and while they may not be hearing it, the the local politicians themselves, their federal counterparts are hearing it at the door. They're hearing we're unhappy with these with these uh, with the cuts from the Ford government. And so it's making it very difficult for Andrew Scheer's team of people to campaign effectively because of what they're what their uh, provincial counterparts doing. So is it a coincidence then that all of this happened, Keith, after constituency week? You know, you and I and John were kind of positing a little while ago saying, you know, when these guys go back to the back home to their home offices, they are going to get blasted. And I wonder how much more uh, or how much of an effect that has on them as much as, you know, it's easy to kind of tangle with the big city mayors on Mm. the one hand. But to Colin's point, the door to door, I'm back in the constituency, I'm in the barber shop and somebody's saying, Hello, uh, I love you, but uh, Keith, I, I I just wonder uh, how much of that really played out, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're we're Sunday afternoon before we all return to the legislature. By the way, Premier, here's what I heard uh, back in the home riding. Oh, hence the value of Constituency Week. People, you know, mock politicians that when they're not at Queens Park, they're not working. Oh, believe me, they're working, and I suspect a lot of them took it on the uh, chin last week quite uh, forcefully from some constituents. We're not happy about the pace of the changes, the pace of the cutbacks, especially these in-year ones on municipalities, public health in particular. 
so I, I think, as I say, the value of constituency week is there. I suspect on Sunday that there was uh, an informal polling of the caucus. How'd your week go? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 you know, there's still this one issue. So they knew that. And ironically, of course, on Monday, I called it Manic Monday because, of course, when the premier and his uh, uh, municipal affairs minister announced they were going to be available at 10:15, that was right up against their own uh, announcement, a good announcement about uh, a mental health agency that they were creating, a good news announcement. So they're competing with themselves on that front. And, of course, the climb down, you know, is going to be huge, huge news. So uh, the, reversing the custom municipality, or at least postponing them until next year. So competing with themselves on that announcement. So the only thing I guess they felt they should really do, because they didn't want to talk about the climb down, so Monday afternoon, we got the beer store legislation. <laughs> and, and you know, and that, that certainly changed the tone, didn't it? <laughs> well, and here's what's so ironic about the announcement about the beer store legislation. I mean, this is a government that has been accused multiple times of, of acting first and thinking second. So on, on the morning of where they finally say, okay, well, you know, we're, we're, we're now going to think after we've already acted – in the afternoon, they do something that somebody could say, well, you're acting again before so are you gonna, you're are really you gonna, thinking. Are you going to tell me there was no sober second thought on the beer store? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know something? This is such a, if you'll notice this week, I, I've noticed already this weekend, we are seeing uh, ministers, just like they did with the gas pumps, uh, sending at the gas pumps. They're out this year in their local convenience store saying, I picked up some stuff. Wouldn't it be nice if I could have grabbed some yeah. beer while I was here? Yeah. There, that's, there, there's such a, it's such a good distraction for them because the media, God bless us all, we can't help but report beer changes. Yeah, doesn't what matter what happens. You just, I don't know. You know, here, as you say, that climb down should have been the lead story. I imagine in most media outlets, the beer story came first and then the government reversing the cuts came later. Not well, everywhere. And what we all learned, though, Colin, was that, uh, you know, based on the, the, the furor over the beer store, that in fact, uh, you know, most of us kind of boned up on the background and realized, yeah, you know what? The government can cancel all of these kinds of contracts without any, paying any damages. They have the constitutional muscle to do that. Um, but the, the question is, and again, from some of their supporters like Jerry Agar on News Talk 1010, Jerry's saying, OK, maybe you have the, the ability to do it, but should you? Well, I, you know, that's that's a central question, right? You know, there was another question that came up this week. What about the 407 contract? Everyone hates the 407 contract. Everyone hates paying tolls on it. Even the premier, uh, I believe, on Alan Carter's show had talked about how it was a pretty bad contract for voters in Ontario. Uh, but yet the government says, no, we're not going to open that contract. So, you know, th- that's that's really the big question. What is your benchmark? What is your criteria for what you consider a bad contract? What contract would you reopen? What would you not reopen and why? You know, I don't think a lot of people would disagree with the premise here that, you know, the beer store is privately owned by three big beer companies. And, 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 and you know, uh, I, I believe it's like something like one percent that's owned by 31 local beer, uh, uh, beer outlets um, or, or craft breweries. But it, I mean, it, it seems like it's an exclusive contract. People really don't get to access beer outside of the beer store. But do you need that much access to beer in the first place? I don't know if that's necessarily something that people are asking for, but this seems to be the hill that, you know, one of the hills that the government wants to die on. So I, I don't understand the the obsession here with booze and alcohol. Maybe they're hoping to balance the budget based on the beer tax. Maybe that's why they don't want to cut the beer tax. I don't know. <laughs> There's certainly a strategy but the whole here, idea- but I don't know what it is. The whole idea of tearing up contracts versus your open for business slogan. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. 
they're diametrically opposed. They just are, especially when you know you, you you've already had to tear up an electricity or some electricity contracts, and you know that that went with the uh, government's mandate, I guess, to some degree. But now, uh, I don't know that there was any mandate whatsoever to, to, that required beer, uh, you know, in a greater greater expansion of beer. We can always pick it up now in some grocery stores. Yes, it'd be nice if we get it there, but rolling it out uh, immediately, demanding that it be done right now. I didn't hear anybody asking for that. Uh, I, I really didn't. And as you say, it's the hill they're going to die on for tearing up a contract. A monopoly doesn't look good. They're an easy target for sure. Three porn owned big breweries. But I think politically people are going to go, well, I, I didn't really need, you know, beer at the corner store this weekend. Well, especially when we're talking about cuts in, in other files. So that, that just becomes a, you know, a whole series of rakes that they put out in front of themselves. Uh, Colin, the other announcement here um, was around Ontario Place. Uh, they led with there will be no casino, no condos, that kind of development. Um, but again, sort of the subtext in everything that they do uh, seems to be the, the, the noose around their neck. Uh, it sounds as if, sure, bring the developers in. Don't worry, we're not going to have a condo or a casino, but uh, if you want to tear down Cinesphere, go ahead. Uh, right. Uh, you know, Ontario Place is a bit of a tricky one, though, because, you know, a lot of people have a lot of nostalgia and childhood memories attached to it, but they don't necessarily go there anymore. Um, I, I drive by there all the time in Lake and you see a lot of activity there. You see the Cinesphere. There's always uh, a movie on every single every single week, and, and people actually do go to it. But you're right. I mean, they have... They've basically said all of Ontario Place is open for development. Uh, you can come in, have a proposal that would completely demolish all of Ontario Place and rebuild it for whatever you want. So the only thing that they're saying that they're going to protect is park space, not the park that's already there, which is, I believe, named after Bill Davis. Mm-hmm. So that would be that would be pretty, <laughs> I think, bad for a conservative government to be, you know, uh, allowing the demolition of uh, uh, Davis Park. But um but also the Cinesphere, right? They said, yeah, the Cinesphere, if somebody brings up a proposal that demolishes the Cinesphere, we're not against it. And so I mean, that's, that's part of the iconic, um, you know, uh, that, that's, what, that's what everyone knows when they look at Ontario Place. So I, it, 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 again, is a really weird one. People want to see something at Ontario Place. Do they want to see complete demolition of it? I don't know. Well, Keith is a friend of mine who is a, is a, he's a facilitator in public meetings and so on. And he is one of the few extreme facilitators in public meetings where things get really cranky and out of hand. My guess is he might be called upon to deal with whatever public consultations come up around Ontario Place. Because to Colin's point, this really strikes at an emotional nerve for people in the city and right across the province. Oh, it's hugely emotional. Uh, I remember we used to come in, and when I was a, a teenager in Hamilton, we would come in uh, to the jazz festival at, at Ontario Place because we could stay there. The whole thing was at the Forum. You would see artists that I never would have gone to see, you know, old school artists because I wasn't interested. I got to see them and realized how good they were, and I learned so much. These were great experiences, but the Forum's been gone since the 90s. Yeah. John Wright often blames Bob Ray for taking that out. So as much as I've got those memories there, and I prefer the Forum over the Budweiser stage, Echo Beach is kind of nice. So, you know, things have to grow and change, especially entertainment venues, family-based entertainment venues. There's so much more competition now. Remember when Ontario Place opened up, Wonderland wasn't even in existence. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what's going to go there. I really don't. I love their commitment, though, no condos. I think that's important, keeping the, the, the park space as much as they can. But what it'll be, I'm glad, again, I, I kind of agree with not putting a casino there. But what are you going to put there? Apparently, there's going to be a subway stop there. So yeah. that's, it's going to be a real destination place. It already used to be. Mm-hmm. It can be certainly become one again, especially with subway transit uh, or transit really improved to that site. So I'm open to whatever they come up with here. I, I think it has to be wide open. 
And the Cinesphere, again, you know, there's, there's other IMAX theaters in town. I know it was a first, and I, I think they've just spent lots of money renovating they it did. and bring yeah. it up to date. Yeah. So I'd, ha- I'd hate to see it go in a sense, but <laughs> if, it, you know, if it doesn't fit in your project, same with the pods. The pods are, are, are wonderful and unique, but they may not be for the 21st century. Um, uh, Colin, looking ahead, anything we should be uh, buckling up for? <laughs> I know it's almost impossible to predict given the way things are going, but what's on the agenda next week? Well, well, this time, well, I mean, first of all, they've got a lot of bills to pass, right? The, the, I mean, the beer store uh, bill, the legislation to undo the beer store contract, uh, they, they want to get that done and over with. Uh, uh, bill 108, which touches on municipalities uh, as well, they want to get that uh, passed. There's the, the transit uh, bill, which uploads the uh, Toronto transit system, the, the, the new, the responsibility to build new lines. Um, they want to upload that and they want to get that done by the end of the week. So, I mean, the last sitting day of the legislature is on Thursday, um, the, the 6th of June. And so they're going to have, I believe, that's still the plan. They're going to have an evening session on Sunday so that they can get a lot of that debate time out of the way. Because I think one of the things that uh, the the NDP and the independents have figured out is we can file things like reasoned amendments, which will, you know, delay just a little bit, maybe by a day, by day, by day. But the government still has all the cards in their hands. Um, and, and, you know, they can, you know, they can have midnight sittings virtually every day if they really want to, because they will get everything that they want to get past. I don't think we're going to go past the 6th of June. Uh, and then, of course, the 7th, is Doug's big day. That was the day one year since he was elected. Mm-hmm. He's going to hold a news conference. We've been told on that day uh, to kind of reflect as uh, I, I, I hope, you know, he's, he kind of goes over everything, the highs and the lows. Um, but that's what we're looking forward to next week. And just uh, <laughs> announced this afternoon, um, June 22nd will be Ford Fest uh, in Markham. Yes. So, uh, you I, know, I, pred- I predict between the seventh, the anniversary and Ford Fest cabinet shuffle. Ah, there we go. All right, we're marking I know, that. I know. Oh, yes. Yeah. He was asked about it Friday, was he not, Colin? He was asked about it today, and he said, no, there's no cabinet shuffle coming. Um, and uh, but but you know we're we're hearing different. Yes, hearing, exactly. I'm I'm hearing different too. So we're hearing that there could be something in the works, but we don't know. I mean, you know, listen, there have been stars in there's in his cabinet. There have been underperformers in his cabinet. Uh, it is it is you know still a government that is relatively young and fresh, and they're still trying to figure out and get their sea legs, even though they're a year in. So uh, change for the sake of change sometimes can be a good thing. Well, that'll do it. Thanks, guys. That was a, a good session. We appreciate your joining us, uh, Colin. We'll have you back anytime, so long as you'll uh, put up with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Keith, good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. All right. He's Keith Leslie, and he is Colin DeMello. I'm Dave Trafford, and this is On the Ledge. Thanks to Queen Victoria for the use of her park today. On the Ledge is an eye contact production. I'm Dave Trafford.